Good morning, North River. For those of you whom I have not had the pleasure of meeting in person yet, my name is Christy Peck. I'm the next generation pastor here, and I am so excited to be joining you this morning to deliver this morning's message. But before we begin, let's spend some time in prayer together. God, we are so grateful for all the ways in which that you've blessed us, even through this troubling time, God. I pray that you walk with those that continue to struggle, Father. Maybe people have lost their jobs or are struggling to see loved ones or struggling with loneliness, Father, and I pray that you would walk beside each one. God, for those of us that are finding joy right now, I pray that you would walk beside those as well. God, bring us together as a community. Show us how to share your grace and your love. And God, I pray that you would speak this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a question. How many of you would like some more hope in your lives? Now, if you were here, I would make you actually raise your hands. But since you're not, go ahead and type that in the chat box. If you would like some more hope in your lives, why don't you just put a little shout out in that chat box there online. On the flip side, how many of you are sitting back on your couch saying, No, Christy, I'm all set. I've got this hope thing down. I've met my hope quota. I am filled to the brim. My guess is is that there's probably not any of you sitting out there saying that right now, right? Most of us are desperate for more hope in our lives. We have racial injustice, violence, political division that encapsulates our country right now, right? So much remains unknown about COVID and the future. And I know that there are many of you going through personal trials right now as well. Maybe you lost your job during the pandemic. Maybe you have parents that are in nursing facilities that you haven't been able to see for months on end and you wonder really how they're doing with all that loneliness. Maybe you're a student and the stress of school has just gotten you down. Maybe it's gotten the best of you. You want so desperately to have some hope. Hollywood thrives off of this desire for hope, right? How many films have been made about the good guy defeating the bad guy or the underdog coming and overcoming a huge challenge for the victory in the end. Seemingly impossible tasks are won in Hollywood. And most of my favorite movies play out this way, to be honest with you. The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, The Chronicles of Narnia, it's all about good overcoming evil. Do you know that there are actually entire channels and networks devoted to these feel-good stories of hope. Take my favorite, for instance, don't laugh, the Hallmark Channel. I love Hallmark movies. And I know that I've gotten more than a couple eye rolls from my family. I see a couple of eye rolls even in this room here with me this morning. And yes, I'm aware that basically every single Hallmark movie is exactly the same plot. Ready? It's this. Two unwitting people, a man and a woman, they meet each other. They seem to be perfect, but they have no idea. And then they overcome this crazy challenge. They fall hopelessly in love and they live happily ever after. The end. 
And every time, I know this is how this story's going to play out, but every time I find myself rooting for this couple, hoping that they figure it out, and when they do, because they always do, I am rejoicing with them. It brings me hope. But life isn't actually like that, right? It's, it doesn't play out that way. Seriously, how many relationships do we know of that work that way, in that order, and everyone lives happily ever after? Wouldn't it be nice if all of our hopes worked out like a Hallmark movie? If the good guys always won, if the underdog always rose to the challenge and overcame, if our dream job was always landed, if our relationships and our marriages were always smooth sailing. Pastor Paul talked to us last week about having hope when we feel like God has abandoned us. This week, I want to take that one step further. What does it mean not to just have hope, but what does it mean to have hope that is overflowing? That was the Apostle Paul's vision at the end of this text. In verse 13, he says this, May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? May the God of hope. We do not serve the God of suffering, of fear, of despair, or of anguish. We serve the God of hope. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the believers in Rome, tells us that this doesn't have to just be present in us, but that it can be overflowing by the power of the Holy Spirit. So how can we be overflowing with hope? Let me share with you some things this morning, the ways in which the scripture shows us that hope like that can be brought into our lives. People overflowing with hope consistently read the Bible, bring praise to God, serve and love others, and spend time in community with each other. Let's look at consistently reading the Bible first. Verse four of this passage says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we may have hope. This is Paul's first mention of hope in this passage. He's telling us here that all scripture is written to teach us something now, even though scripture was written in the past. All scripture was written at a specific time and a specific place in history for another specific purpose as well, but it had something for us now. Some was written as a historical narrative to give an account of what happened with God's people over time. Some was written as poetry and song to express emotion and lament and praise to God. Some is prophecy. It's meant to warn the people of that specific time about something that is happening. But it also serves as a sign to us in the future that God is true to his word. And then some are letters, just like this book of Romans here, letters to various churches throughout the New Testament, 
giving instruction and encouragement specifically to those churches. But all scripture, all scripture is useful for teaching us how to endure life's struggles and to encourage us in God's faithfulness as we do. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts of the, and attitudes of the heart. The Bible, the very word of God, teaches us and encourages us even now God's word is a source of overflowing hope. A little while ago, we sang the song, Another in the Fire. Now, uh, David didn't know I was going to be referring to this song in my sermon. And so that says to me that God is, God is working us together. He's using all of these pieces to get his word across. But we sang this song, Another in the Fire. And as David said, this song alludes to a story in the book of Daniel. The story is about three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are commanded to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, his golden idol, and to worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They would not bow down to this idol. And they told King Nebuchadnezzar that their God would rescue them. And even if he did not, they still wouldn't bow down. You see, unlike us today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they faced certain death with this. They didn't share the freedoms that we share today. It wasn't a slap on the wrist or a fine or a prison term that they were going to serve. They were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace to face an unimaginable death. So when they refused, King Nebuchadnezzar, enraged, had them thrown in the fire. And in that moment, another figure appeared in the fire. This figure was walking around with them. A fourth person appeared. When King Nebuchadnezzar saw this fourth person, he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come forth, and they did. And the king and all of his people saw that they were unharmed. They had not been burned. God literally walked through the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here we are, thousands of years later, singing a song about that very part of Scripture, that very story of how God overcame the impossible in their lives. Does that bring you hope? Did that song encourage you as you listened or you sang this morning? Does reading these stories within Scripture of good, of God overcoming the seemingly impossible bring you courage and faith and hope? It does for me. What about the story of King David, who at this time was just a young shepherd boy, who faced the giant Goliath with just a sling and a stone, and he overcame in the book of 1 Samuel? Or the story in the book of Luke of Elizabeth, 
Mary, the mother of Jesus' cousin, who thought she would never conceive a child. The shame and the disgrace that she bore going into old age, believing that this was her fate, that she would never have a child. And then an angel appeared to her husband and said that she would have a son. And it came to be just as the angel said. Does that bring you hope? Or the story of the woman caught in adultery in the book of John. The whole world hated her. They judged her. They condemned her. They wanted her dead for her crime. But Jesus, he showed mercy. He showed compassion. He shows grace. He showed the whole crowd the corruption and the sin in their own hearts. And he turned their wrath and their condemnation away with one sentence. With one sentence. Let me ask you again, do these stories bring you encouragement and teaching and hope for the difficult situations that you're facing in your life? That is the power of the Bible, of God's holy word still working in us today. That is why the writer of Hebrews says to us that God's word is alive and it's active because when we read scripture, it has the power to transform our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. It has the power to convict us, to mold us, to bring us peace, and to fill us with hope. Sunday morning worship and teaching, they're important. They're so important. But they're not enough. If you want to be overflowing with hope, commit to making it a regular practice. If you're new to this whole church thing, and you don't know where to start, I want to give you some practical advice right now. I want you to download the YouVersion Bible app. And if apps aren't your thing, you can go on to the regular internet and you can go to Bible.com and you can access the same information. You have access there to the entire Bible. Not only do you have access to the entire Bible, but there are hundreds of reading plans that break the Bible down into manageable chunks so that you can be in God's Word every day. You can choose reading plans that'll take you through a book of the Bible, or you can choose reading plans that are on specific topics, like being a new believer and where do I start, or faith, even work. There's so many different topics for you to choose from. But however you connect to God's word, whether through this app or your own Bible or some other way, commit to making it a habit. It will increase your hope because people who have overflowing hope consistently read the Bible. Have you ever had one of those days where you felt absolutely just miserable? Where the thought of being around happy people really just sent you right over the edge. Even going to church on a Sunday morning sounded like the worst idea ever and all you wanted to do was wrap up in your blankets and just stay in bed. Let the rest of the world be happy. I'd say as a pastor, that's never happened to me. I've never felt that way, always joy-filled. 
Yeah, I'm lying. You know that, right? I'm lying. That happens to all of us. We all feel that way at some point, and it's so hard to be filled with hope when you feel just flat out miserable. But there's a remedy. You bring praise to God, even when you don't feel like it. People who have overflowing hope, they bring praise to God, even when they don't feel like it. We see this in the Psalms over and over and over again. Last week, Pastor Paul talked to us about one of those Psalms. He talked to us about Psalm 13, which starts in utter despair. And yet it moves us to the end to praise to God. Do you know that there are over 50 Psalms that follow this pattern? It's like a third of the book of Psalms that follow this pattern. I am in despair, I am in anguish, and yet I am going to bring praise to God. So why is it that over a third follow this pattern, that go from crying out in anguish to praising God and declaring trust in Him? Well, the answer is simple. Because when we take our focus off of, off of me, off of ourselves, and off of our problems, off of the unfair boss at work, off of the financial issues that we're in, off of the anxiety of being in the middle of a pandemic, off of the fact that this is a presidential election year and it's a pretty heated one. And we place that focus back where it belongs. We place that back on God. God's Holy Spirit begins to work in us, begins to move in us, begins to change us from the inside out. He works in our anger, our apathy, and our anguish. He works in our sadness, our confusion, and despair. And in those difficult moments that we bring praise to God in spite of the circumstances, we're reminded of God's greatness, His justice, His power, his sovereignty, his kindness, his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his power to heal all things. We forget about our problems and we refocus on the God who can handle it all. I've seen that work in my own life many times. And one of those times was the summer after I lost my father. I was 23 at the time, and Rich and I were working at a Christian camp in southern Maine. I was going through an incredibly low point. Not only had I lost my father very tragically, but shortly after that, absolutely everything felt like it was unraveling. We had moved out of our ministry jobs in Manhattan and expected to find new jobs pretty easily here in New England but nothing was working out, nothing. Our finances were in shambles and I questioned why God would ever pile so much on one person. I didn't think I could handle it. To top it off, a young naive staff member made a really distasteful joke about the way that my father had passed. He didn't know it, he didn't realize, he didn't know my story, but nevertheless, I fell to pieces, I wept, and I put myself in my room alone. Later that evening, I was supposed to be leading worship with the rest of the staff. I didn't want to. I didn't feel like it. 
I didn't have any praise inside of me. Now, I hadn't given up on God. I knew God was still with me, but I just didn't think that I could sing words that I didn't feel were true in the moment. But I went. I went out of duty to my job and I sang out of duty to my job and that was it because I had nothing inside of me. I'll never forget what happened next. We began to sing the song, Blessed Be Your Name. It is a song that declares, Blessed be your name to God in both the good times and the times of suffering and darkness. Blessed be your name to the God who gives and takes all things away. Guys, it was hard for me to sing those words. But as I did, God's presence enveloped me. And once again, the tears, they streamed down my face again. And this time it wasn't out of sadness, but it was out of the feeling of overwhelming joy and peace welling up inside of me as I was declaring praise that I didn't know I could declare. I didn't know I had it in me. But God met me in that moment and he filled me with his overflowing hope. People overflowing with hope consistently bring praise to God. Do you want an immediate dose of joy and hope? People overflowing with hope also consistently love and serve others. Pastor Paul reminded us last week when he told us how serving others helped a man with severe ringing in his ears. He said that the ringing was so bad that for most with this condition, it would drive them to insanity. But for this man, focusing on others instead of himself saved him from that fate. Well, just like bringing our praise refocuses us on God, so does serving others. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says this of himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Counter to what the disciples believed, Jesus came as a servant. And in Mark 12, one of the Jewish teachers, a Pharisee, asked Jesus, which of the commandments is most important? Jesus responds in verses 29 through 31 with this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus, the son of God, our salvation came with one purpose to serve others, to give his life as a sacrifice so that we may be saved. He's the ultimate example of love. He is the source of our hope, the source of our hope. 
people overflowing with hope follow the example of Jesus and they consistently love and serve others. People overflowing with hope also consistently spend time in community with each other. Community and unity as Christians is key to the development of hope. I know some of you are thinking right now, how can I have community when I haven't even been able to get inside of the church building for the last six months? So before we go any further, I want to stress that community can happen in so many different ways. Online small groups, phone calls, texts, shared Bible studies over the Bible app I just shared with you, even social media, they're all ways to connect during this time. And compared to the Apostle Paul, we have it pretty easy as far as connecting goes. Much of Paul's ministry and community building was through letters. In fact, although he writes in the book of Romans of his love and his longing for the church in Rome, he hadn't even yet visited them. He hadn't met them yet. And yet he speaks to them and of them as if he knows them well, as if he knows them intimately within this book. Community is formed in a multitude of ways in this case, it's letter writing. And if the Apostle Paul can do it, so can we. So with that knowledge, let's talk about community. So in addition to the fact that reading scripture provides hope to the reader, in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul also wants us to know that God's hope is for all people. And he lays this out carefully in the verses that follow. He lays out that God who teaches us and encourages us through the truth of scripture also teaches us that those same scripture and that same scripture that God's plan was to redeem all of humanity, not just the Jewish people, but all of humanity. Paul says this to the church in Rome in verses five through seven. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul then quotes several other uh, Old Testament passages to back up his plea for unity. He says this in verses 8 through 12, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again it says, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. These quoted verses declare that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people of the world, have hope in God's redemptive work of salvation. 
He's declaring that all people, not just the Jews, can receive the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. Now, this was a hard pill to swallow for some at that time. The Jews and the non-Jews, they didn't agree on everything. They were ethnically and racially different. And in many cases, they came from a multitude of beliefs and backgrounds from all over the Roman Empire. That doesn't sound anything like church today, does it? No, of course it does. We still disagree, right? Would it surprise you to know that even here at North River, we have a variety of different opinions? I guarantee that not everyone agrees on things like finances or sports teams or politics or even when to reopen here at North River. We don't always agree. We have different opinions. But Paul's message is clear here, though. God desires us to accept our Christian brothers and sisters when our opinions on the things that are not directly commanded in Scripture don't agree. We're called to put our differences aside with respect and with love for one another and to come to God as community of believers with one mind and one voice that we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One last story. The summer of 2003, I was a youth ministry intern here at North River, and uh, our executive pastor, Todd Shimshak, he was the youth pastor at the time. We went uh, to Washington, D.C. Uh, with a group of students to a conference. Aren't we adorable? Yeah, we're adorable. I know. Try to pick us out from all the students. I don't think you can. Good luck. It was a great conference, but more than the content that was taught, more than the conversations that we had, more than the fun that we had, I remember the very last session with the most clarity. Up until that point, the conference had been split into two different groups. One group would be in a main session and the other group would be out in breakout sessions throughout the convention center. The last day, they removed all of the chairs from the floor of the convention center in order to fit us all in. We had to sit on the ground to make this happen. That day, 10,000 of us were packed into that convention center. 10,000 of us sang together. 10,000 of us worshiped together. 10,000 of us learned together. Now we came from all different parts of the country, from all different cultural backgrounds, and from all different church backgrounds. But none of that mattered. No one cared. No one was asking, what are your views on baptism? No one was saying, hey, you're a Methodist. I can't worship with you. No one was saying you voted for that candidate. We can't even be in the same room. Not in that moment. In that moment, none of those things mattered. All that mattered was bringing praise to our God, the joy and the peace that I felt was surreal as the Holy Spirit came and met us in that moment together. All of our divisions 
that I might have once seen, all of the labels that I may once have placed on people, they disappeared. They didn't matter. And I remember thinking, this must be what heaven will feel like someday. Few times has my heart been so filled. Few times have I felt such overflowing hope in my life. The God of hope filled us with all joy and peace as we trusted in him so that we overflowed with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unity as Christians and community as Christians, it matters. And not only does it transform us by the work of the Holy Spirit, but it is pleasing to God. If you're not connected in community here at North River, I want to invite you to join a small group. We believe that small groups are the best way to get connected, the best way to learn and encourage each other, the best way to get to know others. Now we have small groups that meet online and we have some that will be meeting in person very soon as Pastor Paul announced about the men's Bible study that's happening on Sunday mornings. There are groups available many different days of the week and many different times. There are groups available for everyone. Now the pictures you are seeing here are of my small group that was meeting in person but then met online during this pandemic together. We're continuing to meet online right now. And I want to say they would be the first ones to tell you where you to ask them that we grew so much through this pandemic. We grew together. We learned so much about each other and it was all online. So don't let the barriers of physical restraint keep you from being in community. Now, if you want to get connected, there should be a button that has appeared in the chat box next to you that you can click that will take you to our small groups page. Um, you can click that at the end of the service and it'll take you right there. Get signed up. There is a list of available groups there today. Or if you're watching this after our live service times, you can go to www.northriverchurch.org slash small groups to find a group for you. Do you want to be overflowing with hope in trying times? Put these things into practice. I know what it means to lead busy lives. I have four teenagers and a full-time job. Guys, I get it. It's hard. But when we take the time, when we make it a priority to do these things, we will be blessed. We will find overflowing hope. People overflowing with hope consistently read the Bible, bring praise to God, serve and love others, and spend time in community with each other. But there's still one thing that we need to have in order for these four things to really bring us a hope that is overflowing. Our hope has to start with the source of all hope. It has to start with God. It has to start with a relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth as a man to bear the weight of our mistakes, our sin, and our shame. He did this so that we could be free people and our hope starts with him. God loves you. God loves you enough that he died on a cross for you. He took your shame. He didn't do this to guilt you or to trick you, but because he knows you as his creation, his child that he loves dearly and deeply. If you want the opportunity for hope to overflow in you and you've never invited the hope of the world, Jesus, into your life, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to experience salvation and freedom and hope that overflows. There's no better time than right now to invite Jesus into your life. And if God, if that's you and God is moving that in you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I believe in your son, Jesus. I ask that you forgive me for all the sin, the wrongdoing that I've done in my life, God. I know that through Jesus I am free and I accept your gift of salvation and freedom in my life. And God, I pray that you would be Lord over me and that I would become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, let us know. The church is celebrating with you. All of heaven is celebrating with you. Enjoy for what you have done. Enjoy that you have joined as a child of God this morning. Church, my prayer for you is that you continue this journey of faith and that your hope may be overflowing as you do. At this time, I'm gonna invite Pastor Todd and Amy Lynch to celebrate communion with us here this morning. This is a time to just be with God and to give him thanks for all that he has done in our lives.